Thanks for joining us as we're carrying on in our series through the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. And we're talking about the idea of finding joy through finding peace. If there's anything that really contributes well to the idea of finding joy, it's, it is the sense of how do we quiet our minds? How do we find peace in often very difficult situations? So Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. In the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People work really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. Here's what it says. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia, I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things or such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here, and I pray, Lord, that as we're going through your word, as we're trying to figure out how we can be a people who find joy through finding peace, I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are open to you. In your name I pray. Amen. So the human brain is an interesting thing. It can be manipulated in a variety of ways, even to the extent that, that it can be manipulated to, to cause us to think that something magical is taking place. Here's an example of what I mean. Here's some fun that I want to try with us here. Now, you've seen this on different kinds of shows. Maybe you've seen magicians and illusionists do these kinds of things. I'm not one of those, so I'm just going to go through my notes and, and walk this forward. But here's what I want you to do with it. And you can get your phone out because you might need a calculator for part of this. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick a number from 1 to 10. Any number, 1 through 10. Now, when you have that number, the first question that we need to do, and the first thing I need to ask you to do, is to multiply it by 9. So you take that number you had, and you multiply it by 9. You go ahead, grab your calculator. I know sometimes that times table can be difficult. Uh, whatever number you chose, multiply by 9. Then, once you have that, I want you to minus 5 from your answer. Subtract 5 from whatever that answer was. Now, if you are in single digit numbers at this point, I want you to just park and hang on and wait for the rest of us to catch up to you. Remember, hang on to that number if you're in a single digit number. If you're in a double digit number, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the first part of that number and add it to the second. So let's say, for example, you had 14. I want you to take the one and add it to the four, which will, of course, equal five. If you're in single digit numbers at that point, hang on to that single digit number. If you're not yet, then just keep doing that until you get that single digit number, okay? 
All right, so now let's presume everyone's in single digit numbers. So here's what the next step of this thing is. You have it, you're sticking with it. We're gonna go now go over towards the alphabet. And so what I want you to do is I want you to take that single digit number that you have, and I want you to think of or understand the numerical value of the alphabet number that goes with it. Here's what I mean. A equals one, B equals two, C equals three, and so on. And when you have it, when you have that letter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to choose a country that starts with that letter. Whatever that letter is, choose a country that starts with that letter. And once you have that country, I want you to think of the second letter in the name of the country and choose an animal. First animal that comes to mind when you have that letter. And what color is the animal? That's the last question. What is the color of the animal? Now, if done correctly, if followed through, all of us would be leaning likely into the same answer. And that same answer is this. You are likely thinking of a gray elephant in Denmark. For those of you who think Dubai might be a country, it's actually not. It's a city uh, within the United Emirates. But let's say you chose Dubai, then you might be thinking of a white unicorn in Dubai. You see how weird the human mind is? We can manipulate it in certain ways and cause it to function and, and, and surprise us and astound us at times. And the truth is, is that when it comes to things like how we govern our thoughts, sometimes we feel as if we don't fully understand our minds or how we got to where we ought to, much like this idea of finding a gray elephant in Denmark. But we actually have an awful lot of control over our thought life and, and the ability to submit that thought life to Jesus in order to be able to find peace in any given scenario is important. If we're walking through the passage of Scripture, if you look at verse 1, he starts off and he says, therefore. Now, this is a cliche statement, but if you see a therefore, you have to wonder what it is there for. And so it causes us to look backward to some of the things that were being said earlier. And so the instruction in verse 1 to stand firm is linked to the previous passage, which takes us back to chapter 3, right? And that section describes this onward push of a believer's life, the danger of false teachers, the knowledge that our citizenship is in heaven. And so because of these things, right? So because of false teachers, uh, because our citizenship is in heaven, because that there is this striving, not performance trap, but the striving towards pursuing that ultimate goal of becoming like Jesus. He says, then stand firm in the Lord. And it's a command that's actually something that we find in the Bible quite a bit. It shows that solid foundation that we have because of our foundation in Christ, we can stand firm. That's the idea. And I think very often when we find our place ourselves in insecure places, uh, it's difficult for us to stand firm because we have a tendency to kind of grab, grab onto the things that maybe might be more familiar to us, maybe the things that are standing right in front of us that we can see. And, and so I often hear people say it this way, I tried everything, so now I think I'm going to pray. And the idea there is that the foundation that they actually needed initially is the last thing that they come to because when they're praying, who are they praying to? Well, we're moving to the Lord. We're going to Jesus on these things. And so the idea here is that we start with Jesus. We don't end with Jesus, right? Like it's the beginning phase of things. 
And so we have this firm foundation that we can be standing on. And that's a stark contrast uh, for a person who doesn't have faith. They're kind of tossed, or, or maybe they're really immature in their faith, and they're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, according to James chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, or the foolish builder that Jesus talks about in Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, right? Who builds their house on sand, and then when the waves come and the storms come, the foundation isn't any good, and so the house just crumbles. And so we are to stand firm on the Lord uh, because He is a firm foundation. We, we are secure with Him. And we carry on, and it, and it says that in this way, right? So stand firm in the Lord in this way. And so Paul reminds us, or he says to stand firm in this way. And some translations say, thus. And so the question that we have then is, in what way? Well, by setting our minds on the things above, forgetting the past and moving forward, to push forward to the future and press on towards a prize of that upward call. They are to emulate Paul in his pursuit of Jesus. And it's all done in the Lord's strength, not ours. Do you see what's taking place here? This idea of finding peace or finding joy through finding peace, that this finding of peace is still something that we can pursue, but it, it really is dependent on, on the framework that we place our minds in. Are we pursuing Jesus are we steadfast in Jesus? Are we secure in Jesus in order to be able to have that peace that we want? And by the way, peace is not the absence of trouble. It's actually present in the midst of trouble. He goes on and he encourages the individual believers to live in harmony as, as a means of peace. Uh, verses 2 and 3. He talks about these two women by the names of Yodia and Syntyche. He says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. And so this is one of the few cases that Paul actually singles out people's names. And in this particular letter, it seems clear that he had heard about some news, maybe from Aphroditus, um, that Yodi and Syntyche were having some issues in getting along. So here are two people. They work with him in the ministry. Uh, their names are written in the Book of Life, right? So these are not people that are just um, not part of the kingdom, not living in kingdom matters. But, but when it comes to their relationship, some conflict has emerged and Yodi and Syntyche are, are struggling. And so Paul urges them to deal with these things. Now, for whatever reason, the friction and the conflict had developed between them, and, and we're not given the answer to what that conflict may have been. But we are told that they weren't living in unity, right? Like the, the charge towards them is to live in unity, to be in the same mind in the Lord. And so these kinds of factions are dangerous uh, for people, but also for churches' well-being as well. Paul considered it necessary to single them out and exhort them to resolve the issue before it grew any bigger. I think it's all too common for us to divide and hold grudges against each other. You know, if we want peace in our minds, we want to find joy by finding peace, um, and we can't really allow conflict to flourish. We've got to resolve these things as quickly as possible and bring life into dark spaces. Satan wants to promote disunity. 
And the indication, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, is that we need to be vigilant and work hard at keeping the unity of the Spirit. And so part of that is being alert to any issues and then dealing with them quickly. As a matter of fact, Jesus even dealt with this. Jesus instructed people that unity was so important that they, they should leave their gifts at the altar before making sacrifice, that they should leave their gifts at the altar and go make that relationship right to the best of their ability before coming and making sacrifice to the Lord. Like this is how significant it is. So here's a question. Is there a brother or sister that has an issue against you or vice versa? And just think about that. Maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to give them a call this week, send them a message, connect somehow this week, and bury it. Like deal with it before it gets worse. Restore the relationship as far as you are able. It says here, in the Lord, right? That they are to do this in the Lord, have the same mind in the Lord. And here we see this phrase appearing again. It is as if there is this, this message that Paul is trying to get across that everything that we do, everything that we are, comes from the throne of God, right? Like it's, it's in the Lord. And so we see this phrase again. People have no hope to live in unity without the Lord. That is the bottom line. I am a better husband in terms of offering love, grace, forgiveness, gentleness, everything you can think of. I'm a better husband because of my relationship with the Lord. And we are better brothers and sisters in faith because of our relationship with the Lord because we offer each other stuff that we would just not really be able to offer each other on our own. We have many sins, too many sins, too many differences, too many different opinions, and yet the Lord, with the Lord, all things are possible, and we can truly be one in Him. It doesn't mean we'll be exactly the same, but we can be still unified. God's grace is enough to overcome these things, so let's ask Him for the love and compassion to forgive those who've hurt us and to move forward in relationship. Now, Paul realizes that these principles are not just pieces of knowledge uh, to put in our hearts, but that they are to be applied to everyday life. And so he doesn't hesitate at all to exhort individuals and apply these principles to their lives. And he even encourages others in the church to help them put these principles into action. Like, it's not as if he was just talking to Yodia and Syntyche. He was talking to other people around him that said, hey, listen, like, help these guys overcome these things. Like, this is part of the bearing of one another's burdens. So he didn't hesitate. So the, the understanding then is that we have to be sure not to focus so heavily on doctrine that we forget the practical application of these things. Both are important. Without obedience to the word, our knowledge is useless. So, for example, Yodi and Syntyche, they had this conflict. They knew the word. They knew the gospel. They were part of the present presenting of the gospel. People were being reached. But what we also then know is that even though they knew the gospel, they lived it. They were fellow co-workers with Paul. Their names are written in the book of life. So they had their doctrine right, but for whatever reason, they weren't living rightly. Doctrine without life being lived through it is just wasted knowledge. We need to be sure that we're practicing obedience to the word. Thirdly, uh, verses four to seven, uh, rejoice in the Lord and take everything to him in prayer. We read this, this is one of these passages that's come up a lot over and over again in the years as people are talking about dealing with difficulties and prayers. 
God commands us to rejoice. It's not a suggestion. Rejoice. Like here he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. You know what that means? All the time. Always. So whether in good times, in mediocre times, in high times, it doesn't matter what it is, we rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Well, because He is, of course, good. And He says, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So rejoice in the Lord always. So God commands us. He tells us to do it all the time. By God's grace, we can rejoice even when there's trials and difficulties. Here's an example. Acts chapter 16, right? So Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And in prison in those days, they were dirty, they were smelly. Uh, they were kind of gross, really. And, and you didn't even have food given to you by the guards. It's not like prison nowadays. You had food and water based on whether or not people that you were familiar with would bring these things to you. So their feet were put in stocks. The circumstances were good. This was a serious trial for them. They weren't in prison because of their sin. They had been faithfully serving God and sharing the good news, and yet God allowed them to be wrongfully taken and thrown into prison. God allowed for this. Some people would become bitter and angry and even question God. Like, God, have you abandoned me? I was serving you. How could you let this happen to me? I find that it's easy for us to ask those questions, right? Especially when the things that we, the outcomes that we want in life aren't happening in the way that we want them. And then we would ask the Lord, well, Lord, like, why is this happening? Haven't I done this for you? Haven't I done this for you? You see, you see what we do there? We try to justify ourselves before the Lord and almost as if we believe he owes us something. Eventually, the jailer and his family were saved. And although they didn't know what it was at the time, God had a clear purpose in allowing this trial to happen. You see, that's the interesting thing about the trials that we experience in life. We think that they're just this colossal big deal. But ultimately to God, He has purpose in it. And often other people are impacted by how faithful we are in that trial. The lesson from Paul and Silas is simple. No matter how bad things get around us, we get to decide how to respond. And so because God commands us to rejoice, it means that we can choose whether or not we do. In other words, your emotions are under your control. We talked about this last week. We don't live by emotions. We are in control of these things. And while we face circumstances that are outside our control, we get to choose how we respond to those circumstances. Peace, mental peace, the peace of our minds is ultimately actually under our control. Now, joy comes from the Lord, and so the closer our relationship is with Him, the easier it is for us to rejoice always. And then Paul gives this affirmation that I think is critically important to the, to the language of finding peace. And that is that the Lord is near. Maybe you've heard these terms before. Omnipresent, like God is omnipresent. He's present in all spaces and all times. Which really means that there isn't a space that you can go where he isn't. And if the Lord is present, then there's always an opportunity for peace, for joy, for love, for forgiveness, for reconciliation. All these things. And if he's present all the time, then there's security that comes along with that as well. He's omniscient. He knows everything. So nothing is a surprise to him. And we can have confidence that he knows what's going on. He didn't leave the world and just let creation go its own way. He didn't make it and then just set it on cruise control. He's actively involved in his creation. He cares for us and he's coming again. 
And so because of these things, so because the Lord is near, we then have this exhortation where he says, do not be anxious about anything. Listen, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Why? Because the Lord is near. Here's this other command, and simply put, don't worry. That's what he says here. Now, that's a difficult one, because we're really good at worrying, right? We're really good at worrying, because I think ultimately, we just want to know what's going on. And when there's this insecurity of not knowing what's happening, not knowing what's coming around the corner, we have a tendency to worry, because we don't know. We don't have that control. So since God commands us not to worry, well, then you have to ask whether or not worrying is a sin. And again, at his heart, worrying demonstrates a lack of faith, Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. It could be a lack of faith in God's ability to take care of our needs, or it could be a lack of faith in his goodness, believing that he wants the best for us. But ultimately, worrying doesn't accomplish anything. It can cause us to lose sleep. Like, we're not going to gain peace by worrying. It causes us to lose sleep. It, 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 we become depressed. We perform poorly. We grow ulcers. We cause all kinds of other health and mental problems. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 tells us that God cares about us. And so because God cares about us, we don't need to worry. The Bible is filled with all kinds of commands of not to do something. And many of those commands are followed by kind of that follow-up idea of what to then do instead. And this is one of those scenarios. Believers are not just to sit around telling themselves, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. You know what's going to happen when you keep doing that? You're going to worry. And so in his genius, God through Paul tells us that we're not to worry, that we are to instead pray. Don't worry, pray. Instead of worry, we are to proactively take our concerns to God and ask for His help. And Paul says that we are to pray to God in everything through prayer and petition. And this idea of petition is this idea of constantly going to the throne room and, and laying our concerns before the Lord. Nothing is too big and nothing is too small to pray about. And so we should be praying to God about our work. Praying to God about our families, praying to God about the decisions that we need to make, our character, our health, our, our church, our missions, our hobbies, everything. We're to be praying about these things. And then there's an attitude that comes along that we are to be praying in. So we're not to worry, we're to pray instead. And as we pray, we pray with thanksgiving. It's an attitude. Our prayers to be filled with thanksgiving, not just when we get something we wanted, but even when we get something that maybe we, we didn't want. Here's an example. So when my son uh, was really young, we were at a family gathering, it was Christmas, and we started handing out gifts. And he was super excited. He loved, you know, his, his uncles and cousins and everything. And so then he was given this gift. He was really, really young at the time. And, and he couldn't wait to just open it. So he opens up this wrapping paper. And the wrapping paper is just kind of flying everywhere. His face was beaming. He was bright. His eyes were super bright and big and excited. And when he finishes unwrapping it, he finds that it's a book. And his response was, a book? You know, like... He wanted something, but there was something else in mind for him that was probably better for him than what he wanted. And I think sometimes what our prayer life is like, 
We want things from God. We want certain outcomes. We want him to do certain things for us. But God has a different plan in mind sometimes. And sometimes his answer is no to us because he's got a better plan in mind that we can't see because we don't see from his perspective. And so sometimes God's answer is no. Well, because we're asking for the wrong thing. That's one thing. But sometimes his answer is no is because he's got something better in mind that we just can't see yet. So we pray and we're thankful for the things that we get and we're thankful for the things that we don't get. And so in a like manner, much like my son in opening up this Christmas present and receiving something that he didn't necessarily want, he should have still been thankful in it that he got something, right? Many times in our limited wisdom, we don't recognize the why of what God allows to happen in our lives. Like, why do I feel this pain? Why is my mind racing? Why is my spouse doing what they're doing? Why did God allow me to be so badly hurt? We've got to recognize the who in this. Like, who is God? And he allowed these things to happen. And sometimes we don't like that. You know, like, we're, we're like here's the thing I want to mean. Every single one of us is subject to each other's free will. In other words, I can choose to do something that negatively impacts the person beside me. And because I have free will, I get to do that. What I don't often think about in my free will, or at least most of us don't think about in our free will, is how our actions, how our, our acting upon our free will impacts other people negatively. Sometimes bad things happen to us in life because we all have free will and God allows people to enact their free will. Now, here's the beauty in that though. So even though people are able to enact their free will and it negatively impacts us sometimes, what God does is that he, he turns it. Like he, he just kind of turns it on his head and he's able to turn it into something that's going to become something good for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, it doesn't say here that we get to define what the good is. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. In other words, God's the one in charge of these things. He's the one who gets to determine what is good because he's the one who has the eternal perspective. And there are things that I would want, but they may take away from what God would have for me. And so God's going to work for the good of those who love him. And that's not always going to look the way we want it to look. When we truly believe this passes, though, we will be able to genuinely thank God even amidst life's greatest trials. I mean, after all, James says, consider it pure joy when you experience trials and temptations of all kinds. Poof. Why? Well, because it produces good fruit in us. It doesn't always feel good, but it produces good. And then he closes off here a little bit in this particular section. He says, and he will give you peace. Now, this peace is not a peace that can be understood outside of who God is. The only people only know what they can see and feel. But this peace from God flows from the faith that we have in him and the knowledge that he is sovereign and good. And he watches over us. And so it is a peace that surpasses understanding because of the confidence that we have in who he is, right? So, so here's, here's the issue here. Peace in our minds is very often uh, an emotional thing. 
in that I don't feel peaceful. I, I don't feel rest. I don't feel comfortable. The, these things, right? They, they are very often associated to, to our feelings. And so what becomes beautiful about this, if we go back to the doctrine and the doctrine being that he's om, omnipresent, that he, he's present in all spaces, all times, that he's all knowing, om, omniscient, that he didn't just leave the world to go its way after creation, that he's actually actively involved in his creation, that he cares for us and that he's coming back. When we hold ourselves to these truths and allow these truths to inform how we interact with our feelings, then all of a sudden, the feelings that we have, the peace that we're then able to have is governed, informed by the truth. In other words, the feelings don't inform the truth. The truth informs the feelings. And this is important because truth is stable and feelings aren't. And so this is really important. And this peace that we get from him, well, it protects us. It protects us from rash actions. It protects us from complaining. It protects us from fear, from anxiety, and ultimately from a lack of joy. It protects us also from sinning. And so we get this peace from the Lord and the way that we're able to maneuver ourselves and, and to make sure that we're in that right mindset to be able to experience that peace is actually found in verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, listen to this. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, you direct your thoughts, you don't let them direct you. This passage tells the believers that we are to control the direction of our thoughts and not be controlled by them, right? And, and talking about the difference between moving into truth versus moving into feelings. We decide what we think. We don't just allow any thought to come on into our head and just take over. It's not how this works. And so we start asking ourselves, okay, well, how is this possible? Well, we're to meditate on the positive things according to this passage, the stuff that enriches our spirits instead of tempting us, right? Whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Does anything in there sound like we should be worrying about things? No. When we have our mindset focused on those things, positive and this is not the power of positive thinking. That's not what I'm talking about. But when we contemplate, focus on what is true, what is noble, what is praiseworthy, whatever is right and pure and lovely, I mean, this sets us in this mind space where we're more likely to have peace and experience joy. But whatever goes in our minds will affect us. And so what are you feeding into your mind? Is it the stuff that you find here in Philippians 8? Or is there other things that probably shouldn't be there? When we nourish our mind with positive spiritual food, we'll think about these things and be less susceptible to temptation. On the other hand, if our minds are filled with spiritual junk, well, then we're going to think about these things and be more susceptible to, to temptation. The fleshly us will grow stronger while the new us will grow weaker. But the opposite is equally true. If we're focused on those things that are, as Philippians 8, uh, 4, 8 says, like true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, well, then the new us grows and the flesh us diminishes. 
Some positive things we can be meditating on would be things like Scripture. Meditate on Scripture. This is a passage of Scripture that's a challenge for us, and so I think it would be worthwhile to meditate on it. Okay, Lord, help me to, to focus in on the things that are true. And by the way, truth is an amazing counteract to lies. How many of you have ever felt this lie or experienced this lie that comes into your mind and says you're not lovable or people are just angry with you, people don't want anything to do with you? Okay, what's the truth? The truth is, is that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. You are a loved individual, period. And stop. Nothing can change that. You are loved. Done. That's true. Whatever is true, like focus on these things. Here's some positive things, right? So we've got Bible verses, we got worship music. Whether it's hymns or courses, I don't, I don't care. Whatever it is, whatever floats your boat in terms of your spiritual musical language, uh, these things are amazing for us. Christian biographies. Just reading and learning or hearing and watching about how God has moved in other people's lives and the journeys that he's taken them on. This is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to look at um, some of what's called the novelettes in the Bible. A novelette is like a, is like a, a shorter story that has a little bit more detail within a larger story. And so, for example, Joseph, the son of Jacob, is a novelette. And so even just looking at all the different things that he experienced in life, and what God did with him, and, and, and through that, we get to see how God moved in people's lives. Focusing on God's character, but other testimony, like other things could be testimonies of other believers. Think about what God has done in your own life and the other things that you can be thankful for, right? Like this is, like focus on these things. And not just focusing on the things that tear other people down. Like, yeah, okay, you know what? There are gonna be things you're not gonna like about me. That's okay, that shouldn't be your focus. I'm not a perfect individual, neither are you. You don't want me focusing only on the things that are not good about you. Don't focus on the things that are just bad about me. Let's do that together, right? We focus on that which is good. Negative things to include. These are things to be probably steer clear of. How about gossip? Scandals, celebrity news. I mean, oh my word. There are people who make entire careers over just covering celebrity news. Immoral movies or novels, worry, inappropriate internet content. These different things are negative and, and they'll take us on dark roads. Focus on the things that Philippians 4.8 tells us to focus on. And I promise you that as you do, your mind begins to shift. You'll begin to have more peace because you're not leaning towards the worry and anxiety. And because of that, you'll find more joy. Don't let your thoughts direct you. You direct them. And you do so by following Philippians chapter 4. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would take this truth that we find in Philippians to heart, that we would be a people that, as you tell us in Romans 12, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, that we would be a people that would focus on whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is right. Lord, so that we can move our minds in such a way that we have peace and experience your joy. In your name I pray. Amen.